Welcome in, everybody. Time to get in the cage here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. Always a pleasure to speak to this man. Bring him back to the program. You can read his stuff at MMAfighting.com. Also, for you uh, movie and TV fans, you can follow his work at NerdCoreMovement.com. I'm talking about our buddy Damon Martin back with us once again. Damon, how are you, man? I am good. I am good. Thank you for having me as always. Hey, it's good to talk to you again. And before we get into a huge card coming up uh, tomorrow night, I I just want to get your reaction to the retirement, or not the retirement, I guess, the retirement maybe in one case, but the the release of two of the more well-known heavyweights in the probably the history of the heavyweight division, certainly in the UFC, and that's uh, Junior Dos Santos and Alistair Overeem. Now, it sounds like Junior, you know, just based on his message on Instagram, sounds like he might continue to fight, which really bums me out because he's one of the nicest guys you could ever hope to speak to. I root for the guy, but he's been getting knocked out left and right, and I think he's beyond cooked at this point. Uh, before we move to Alistair, just give me a thought on on Junior and where, where does he rank all time for you in terms of heavyweights? Yeah, I mean, Junior is, and you're absolutely right, Junior's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in this sport. It's hard not to be a fan of his just if you meet him or, or see him in person and or hang out with him at all or just you know, see his interviews. He's such an incredibly good guy. Uh, you know, I was, I'll be honest, I was still a little surprised at his release just because he is a former heavyweight champion. You know, guys have gone through these losing streaks against lesser competition. You know, you look at, I'm not, I'm not knocking the guy, but you look at a guy like Andre Arlovsky, who has had a couple of losing streaks since coming back to the UFC, and, and maybe the level of competition isn't the four guys who have beaten Junior recently, which are four guys who are all currently ranked, I believe, in the top five in the heavyweight division, uh, and, and they keep him around. And so it's a little disappointing in that regard that maybe they didn't give him a chance to maybe take some time off, get his mind right, you know, throw him back in there against like the number 12 guy as opposed to the number four guy. Uh, but I do, you know, listen, I, I think Junior, you know, will keep going. Uh, what that means, maybe he tests himself in boxing. Uh, maybe he, you know, maybe he jumps into an organization like Bellator or PFL where, uh, you know, perhaps the uh, the competition level isn't quite as deep, although I would say Bellator does have a pretty solid division. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, listen, it's disappointing but also understandable. Junior is one of the higher-paid guys on the, on the roster in terms of the heavyweights. He was off four straight losses, so – you know, I can see the justification, but I was still a little bit surprised. Well, and I, and I'm sure you read or heard the same thing, but I read that he was offered a short notice fight, and I and I can't recall who the opponent was, but it was coming up at the end of March, and he turned it down uh, because he didn't feel like he had enough time to prepare, and then the cut comes on the heels of that. I mean, I, far be it from Dana to be petty. We've we've certainly heard more than enough stories about Dana in the past, but do you do you have do you think there's a connection there at all? I would wager to say there is. The fight with Marcin Tabura was the fight. That's and, right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And, and and yeah. I mean, listen. <laughs> the reality is, I mean, the guy is coming off uh, several tough losses in a row. I, I don't think it'd be the worst idea to give him six or eight months off just to heal and recover, and you know, again, get his mind right and, and get his body healthy. I mean, again, when you look at the guys he's losing to, there's no shame in losing to the guys he's lost to. You lose to Francis and Gone, or you lose to. You know, Cyril Gaon, who may be a you know, future, now we see as you know, a potential heavyweight contender in the very near future, Jarzinho Rosenstroik. You know, he had a good first round against him, and then you know, he got caught in the second. It happens. Jarzinho has that kind of power. So I think, I think offering him a, a fight on you know, three weeks' notice is a little unfair, and, and I don't blame him for necessarily turning it down, especially if he didn't really truly feel he could be ready in that amount of time. And, uh, you know, like I said, that's the nature of the beast. You don't take what they want, then, you know, you, you become expendable 
Uh, because at this point, and, and I can't agree with this, while I don't have a problem with Junior continuing to fight, I don't think we're ever going to see Junior, at least in the UFC, we're going to see Junior at the top of that division any longer. And so as one of the higher-paid guys, I see why they would release him. Is he top five all-time? It's hard. You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, a buddy of mine, Aaron Bronstetter from TSM, put out a stat the other day that you know, uh, over the last, I want to say, a decade, I believe it was, that you know, Junior Dos Santos has competed in thirty-five percent of the heavyweight title fights. <laughs> so I think it's hard not to put him in that category. I mean, obviously, you're going to put a guy like Stipe at number one, and and you know, you're going to look at you know the Randy Couture's and the you know the Mark Coleman's, those kind of guys, and that and that list of all-time great UFC heavyweights. Uh, but, yeah, it's hard not to put Junior in that top five along with Cain Velasquez. I mean, their fights were pretty epic. They had a, you know epic rivalry, and, and obviously Junior had that incredible, I believe it was like 11-fight win streak to start his UFC career, 10-fight win streak to start his UFC career. So, yeah, I would say he deserves to be in that conversation. All right, now moving to Alistair Overeem, a guy who captured titles everywhere except for the UFC. Yet he was always dangerous. He was always a game opponent. But I feel like at this point when you reflect on his UFC career – Outside of the Brock Lesnar fight, he's almost more known for almost getting his head knocked off by, 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 you know, different guys out there. Some of the beatings he took, some of the punches he took from Francis and Ganu, and the, I mean, those are things we're going to see that highlight forever. Um, how, how do you size up his run through the UFC? Yeah, it, it's kind of an odd one because he came in with all the momentum in the world, and then obviously he ran into that whole you know testosterone testing situation where he was supposed to fight. I believe it was Junior Dos Santos at the time for the title, and then you know, he got knocked out of that fight with the irregular testosterone levels, and he never he never quite got back there again. He did earn his title shot against Stipe, had a close guillotine choke. I was at that fight, you know, very close to the, in the opening round, and then you know, things turned around for Stipe, and he knocked him out on the ground, and you're right. You know, a lot of his highlights, unfortunately, are, are highlights on the wrong side of it. You, the Jarzinho Rosenstreich highlight more recently. You mentioned the Francis Ngannou one, so... I don't think you can question Alistair's, you know, rating in the overall heavyweight division as far as what he's done in his entire combat sports career. When you look at K1, you know, Dream, you look at Strike Force, you look at all the things he did. He's obviously an all-time heavyweight. Uh, but his UFC run was, you know, a mix of good and bad. He definitely had some great performances, but he also had some pretty, you know, uh, uh, bad endings as well. So uh, I don't know that. I, you know, obviously, I wouldn't put him in that upper echelon of UFC heavyweights, but as far as Heavyweights across all combat sports, you know, Overeem is definitely in that uh, in that mark of one of the all time greats. All right, and before we get to the the card coming up tomorrow night, give me give me a thought on on Kamsat Shemaev. I mean this this is a guy who just came in a house of fire. He's beating up guys once a week. Uh, he's he's you know he's just capturing everybody's imagination. What's this guy going to do? Is they increase the 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 uh, level of competition for him? He's blowing through people, and then. He comes down with COVID nineteen, uh, has to has to postpone a fight. It gets postponed again, and then he posts a message that you know, when's translated, sound like he's saying, "Hey, that's it for me. It's not it's not going to happen." Uh, you know, basically a big goodbye. And then Dana gets involved, and you get politicians from his country involved, and it sounds like they're sort of coercing him to say, "No, you're not done yet." What What's your take on this story? It's a weird one because I, I get weirdly, I actually. I, <laughs> I rarely do I agree with some of the stuff Dana White says, but this is one time where I actually do, in a sort of way, do agree with him. And here's what I mean. I think what Kamzat Chemaev is going through right now is obviously very tough. You know, he, he's a guy who, is a, who trains all the time. He's been an athlete his entire life. And, and, you know, if you talk to people, 
even, you know, young people and, and shape people, you know, people who, who, you know, are tremendous athletes can still suffer the effects of COVID-19. You know, that's the crazy thing about this disease. It, it barely affects one person and, and sadly it kills others. So, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to this disease. And unfortunately, you know, Comstock got the kind of the worst end of it. And, uh, you know, a guy, Gilbert Burns, who just fought for the welterweight title, told me after he caught COVID-19 last July that knocked him out of his fight with Kamaru Usman, you know, he got home and he actually got pretty sick. He never had to go to the hospital or anything, but he said when he finally got over the sickness about a month later, it took him quite some time to be able to get his conditioning and cardio back because his breathing was so affected because obviously it's a respiratory disease. So, it, you know, he told me, he's like, it, it shocked me how much it affected me when I tried to go back to training. Like, I had to really slow down my training. And it took him, I think he said, like six weeks to finally start to feel normal again in terms of his training. And so when you compete at that level and you're so used to your body reacting one way and then suddenly it just does not react that way or you can't keep breath or, you know, your shortness of breath, things like that, uh, it affects your mindset. So I think that's really what it comes down to with Hamzat. I think he's obviously upset because you know he contracted the disease you know months ago and he's still dealing with the after effects and i think he's kind of of the mindset like am i ever going to get past this and so i think he did make kind of a heat of the moment decision you know he's upset he's really bummed out they're putting him on you know medicine they brought him over to the united states specifically to see the ufc's doctors uh you know they're putting him on medicine hoping it will turn things around for him but he's frustrated so weirdly as i said i kind of agree with dana white give the guy some time you know, if he's still feeling this way a couple, three months from now, maybe he really does walk away. And I don't think anyone should, should you know, blame him for that. But give him time to recover. Give him time to get healthy and see where his mind's at, you know, in a couple, three months down the road. And then we can find out how serious he is about walking away. All right. Fair enough. Let's uh, Before we let you get out of here, let me ask you about a couple of these fights on the card. Big card, UFC 259 coming up, coming up tomorrow night. Uh, the main event is interesting because Israel Adesanya is moving up to light heavyweight to take on the champ, and he he weighs in in sweats. I mean, usually we're used to seeing these guys in underwear or often with nothing, surrounded by towels, just to creep in under uh, the the maximum weight. He comes in in sweats, and he weighs barely two hundred pounds, which tells you with without the sweats and everything, he's under two hundred. Um, what what do you does that give you any cause for concern that that Jan is going to be too big and too powerful for him, or what, how do you how do you see this in terms of weight? And then your thoughts on the matchup. Well, listen, you can't help but be a little bit concerned. You know, you know, Jan Bohovich is a, is a sizable light heavyweight. He cuts weight and will probably come in tomorrow night, you know, for the fight at around 220 pounds, which means he's going to have probably a 20 to 25 pound advantage over, you know, Israel, because obviously Israel's not really going to pack on any size tonight because he didn't cut any weight. So, uh, you know, just working out and warming up, he might even drop a couple more pounds depending on how you know, how vigorously he's doing that. So, yes, it can absolutely be a factor, especially when you're talking about a guy in uh, in Jan Blahovich who is a big, physically strong uh, middleweight. When you see his fight with Luke Rockhold, and Luke Rockhold was a very, very big middleweight, and and you know, look at Luke Rockhold's body, you probably say he actually is probably a more natural light heavyweight, and, and, you know, Jan didn't have any problems, you know, resisting his takedowns, you know, kind of muscling him up in the clinch, and then obviously knocked him out with that devastating left hand. Uh, Tiago Santos, the guy who beat Jan Blahovich, is a guy who actually is more built for 205. He killed himself to make middleweight for years, and now he's just a healthier, happier, stronger guy. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the case with Israel. Now, maybe it doesn't matter, because Israel is such a skilled striker. He's a sniper. He's 
He's more about accuracy and precision, very Anderson Silva-esque in terms of his striking. He doesn't go out there trying to hit you with one bomb to put you away. He's kind of like the death by a thousand cuts guy. Mm -hmm. So maybe it won't matter. But uh, I got to be honest, like I said, I've said since the beginning, Jan Blachowicz is being very underrated going into this fight. And I would say don't be shocked whatsoever uh, if he displays, as he calls it, that legendary Polish power, he puts one on you. He puts one on Israel Adesanya. Are you are you leaning towards Blahovich in this fight? I am slightly leaning that way, and and maybe that's a, a little bit of the the recency bias, just because Jan has become such a knockout artist in his last year of three or four fights. But like I said, he only needs one. He just needs one glancing shot to connect hard, and anybody will go down at two hundred five pounds. Israel, as I said, probably needs to. You know, death by a thousand cuts. He needs to really pour it on round after round to put Jan away, and uh, and that's a that's a tougher endeavor. But again, like I said, Israel is the real deal. Israel is amazing, so I won't be shocked whatsoever if he wins. I just I have that feeling of Jan Blahovich just needs one. He just needs one shot, and, and that changes the course of the fight. Let me ask you about uh, arguably, I, I I don't even think it's debatable at this point, the greatest female fighter in the history of combat sports. That's Amanda Nunez because she's beaten anybody who was originally considered that and beaten them soundly. Whether we're talking about Cyborg, whether we're talking about Ronda Rousey, whether you're thinking it was Holly Holm or Misha Tate, I mean, she's just pretty much run rough shot through anybody that was thought of as one of the greats. Uh, the, the only way I see her leaning, losing to Megan Anderson is if she looks past her, if she doesn't take the fight seriously, which I don't see her doing. How do, how do you size this one up? Yeah, I have a hard time picking against Amanda versus anybody, uh, much less, you know, I think Megan Anderson is a talented fighter, but you know, we've seen the path to victory against Megan. You know, we saw Holly Holm do it, took her to the ground. We saw Felicia Spencer do it, took her to the ground. Uh, Amanda is an incredible ground fighter, and we have seen Amanda take her opponents to the ground when she needs to. Uh, you know, Megan is a, is a dangerous striker. She's got the length. She's got the reach. We saw that in the stare down. She's going to have a significant height advantage. But, again, will that really matter in the grand scheme of things? I don't think so. I have a hard time believing Amanda won't go out there and uh, dominate and or finish this fight. I just think that Amanda's on a different level right now than everybody, and that's not a knock on Megan Anderson as much as it is that Amanda is just miles ahead of the rest of the game right now, and it's going to take either time, your father time or, or her own disinterest in the opposition, I think, to really tackle Amanda Nunes at this point. All right, last one before we let you go, and that's uh, Al Jermaine Sterling going up against Jan. And do you, do you call him Peter the way that Dana does, or, or Petir? How do, how do you say his first name? Because I've heard it pronounced probably five different ways. Yeah, I think it's actually Piotr, Piotr, Piotr Jan. I think it's how he actually says it. <laughs> Piotr, yeah, Piotr okay. Jan. Okay. Piotr Jan. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's my, I'll be honest, that's probably, I mean, the main event I'm very intrigued by just because we so rarely see these champion versus champion fights. It is special. But I got to be honest, this is my favorite fight on the entire car. Peter Jan has looked like a beast since coming to the UFC. I mean, the way, he, the way he dismantled Jose Aldo in their fight was so impressive. And when you look at Aldo, I mean, we can sit here and say maybe he's not the same Aldo he once was. And I would agree he's not quite that same Aldo. But, again, you know, what he did to Cheeto Vera in his last fight, I don't think Aldo is done by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, Jan, you know, dominated the majority of that fight before finishing him. Uh, and he's done that to a lot of people. But, you know, there is some question of his legitimacy. He didn't walk, you know, a murderer's row. He didn't go through – Sterling or Sandhagen or Marias or some of the other guys at the top of the division to get there. 
Uh, and then Aljamain Sterling, I mean, this guy has just looked better than ever. You, you look, watch his fight with Pedro Munoz, the way he dismantled Pedro Munoz on the feet. And we just saw what Pedro Munoz did last weekend to Jimmy Rivera, what he did to Cody Garbrandt. So Pedro Munoz is as legit as they get, and Aljamain really picked him apart on the feet. And then you look at what he did to Corey Sandhagen, took him down, choked him out in under two minutes, and look what Corey's done his last two fights. So Aljamain is legit as they come. This is this is my favorite fight on the card just because I really do believe it's a toss-up. I, I really I really have a hard time picking this when I lean towards Aljamain. I think his wrestling is legit. I think his striking has come a long way. And I've talked to Aljamain a lot over the years. I just know how hungry he is and how much he wants this. And uh, maybe that's the bad way to judge because I'm sure Peter Yan wants it just as much, or shoot, a Peter Yan wants it just as much. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Just there's just something about I. I just almost feel like it's it's, it's Aljamain's time. Yeah, I, I'm with. I'm pulling for him. I like both fighters, but I'm I'm pulling for Aljo in this one. And I mean, such a stack. I mean, Dominic Cruz is headlining the prelims. That tells you how stacked this card is. So for MMA fans, uh, tomorrow night is a huge, huge night. Damon Martin has been our guest. Uh, always a pleasure to speak with him. You can follow him on Twitter, at uh, Damon Martin. At Damon Martin, you can read his stuff at MMAfighting.com. And again, if you're into movies and TV shows, NerdCoreMovement.com is where you can find his work as well. Damon, as always, appreciate it very much, my friend. Thanks so much. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.